0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Right now, Tommy is not practicing. We are going forward as if uh, Riker's going to start until we gain any new information. That's, we have to look at it that way. Obviously, health-wise, he's getting the reps. Zach Darlington's getting some turns, and that will be our quarterback situation. We are, we are hopeful to gain uh, more information soon about Tommy. Uh, but as of today, as you see, he did not practice.
1: I mean, he can barely run. I mean, he has a torn entry. And that
0: usually lasts like
2: four to six weeks, and he came back in a week. So you got to give him more credit going out there than he deserves.
3: We'll have a better idea here soon, but Riker's taken all the work to this point. He's still coming off of that uh, wrist, so he hasn't even taken a snap under center. Uh, the stuff he does, he's not able to take a true snap. He's just holding the ball. but. Uh, I thought he's done a really good job preparing. He's thrown the ball well. You know, again, we've got a lot of, we've got some extra time, so it's been good to get him back into the swing of things, give him some more reps and some stuff that he might have not done uh, as much during the season.
4: And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus, as you heard from head coach Mike Riley, Uh, quarterback Riker Fife, and offensive coordinator Danny Linksorf. Just on the current state of this Husker quarterback. Uh, situation and and really, um, I, I thought these guys, uh, especially Five, he he really shed some light on just how dicey that situation was at Iowa a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Fife said that Tommy Armstrong has a torn hamstring. Um, he was playing at about thirty percent. Fife cannot take snaps under center. In fact, in the Iowa game, he was still in recovery from his surgery on pain medication. And then you have Zach Darlington, who has not played in a game at quarterback, I believe, since 2012 or 2013 um, in high school. Um, you know, as your other option. And and they they were able to get through that game, but it was a very ugly day in Iowa City. And. And now here we are in the bowl. The bowl practices, uh, Robin, and uh, Riker Fife operating the number 1 offense but still not able to take snaps under center. Has Tommy Armstrong taken his last snap at Nebraska? That's a question I think a lot of people have as we sit here in kind of the dog days of ball practices.
3: Yeah, it uh, doesn't look good by, by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, on a side note, had I known Riker Fife was going to be your go-to source for all injury reports, I probably would have <laughs> gone to him earlier because that was the first uh, public comment on the extent of Tommy's injury. So kind of some revealing... Uh, stuff there from Riker and yeah I mean looking ahead to you know this this bowl game uh I I'm kind of in the situation now where I'd be surprised if Tommy's able to play and even if he is healthy enough to play will the coaching staff want him out there we saw what a less than 100 percent Tommy Armstrong looks like and it's not good you managed 10 points on the road against Iowa and uh, the offense didn't look good by any stretch of the imagination so this is a, a, clearly a situation uh that, that Nebraska you know kind of has to like continue to go forward the way they have been and prepare Riker to be the guy and, um, you know, hope that he's able to, you know, get that wrist healed up. I guess the good news that one other thing he did say, he does expect to take snaps under center, hopefully as soon as next week. So uh, sounds like things are progressing, you know, somewhat well there. But he'll
4: still have that cast on. Yeah,
3: he's going to wear the soft cast all through the rest of bowl practices, but I don't think he'll play with it based off what he said. Yeah, I think Riker's, you know, the injury report there
2: was was his own form of of you know a, a Yolo bomb <laughs> he's a senior, I'm tired of it basically yeah, he's got yeah <laughs> he's got one game left, so hey why why not just just put it all out there, put it all out of there on the line you <laughs> we know you gotta do bench, meet? yeah, exactly, <laughs> so what does he care uh because that's typically you would never hear of another player comment no. like that and put out specifics like that, but hey uh, what does Riker have to lose I, I you know it's it's hard to say the way I look at it is that you know if if tommy's legs aren't Useful for this game, then then you I think you have to go with Riker Fife because um, he would give you the best opportunity to at least have. A, a passing game uh, in, because you're gonna have to rely on the run game regardless if, if Tommy's legs aren't that useful so uh, I, I think Riker's gonna have to probably be the guy and uh, regardless you you, you got to make a decision and, and get some guys get definitely least, before you get on the plane yeah get at least one good week's worth of, of work uh, in preparing for Tennessee regardless of who it is you're listening
4: here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan Robin Washington a Klaus as we are in the middle of Bull practice month and You know, you talk about the work. I mean, Nebraska is putting in about as full of a bowl practice month as we've ever seen. It started out kind of slow uh, with the recruiting. I mean, the coaches gave the team basically two weeks off without a practice. But they will go 16 practices over 21 days from December 9th to December 29th, the bowl game being on the 30th. Um, And, you know, I even thought it was funny, Robin, on Tuesday, the team was outside practicing in the middle of December, and I'm like, what are they doing? they got two indoor fields, and they're outside in the cold conditions of Nebraska winter in December uh, going through a, a practice. So it's it's an interesting schedule, definitely different than last year's because of last year's game being an earlier date, but way different than what we saw from Bo Polini, who really preferred more of a lighter bowl month and really not much of a developmental month of younger guys.
3: Yeah, and we were talking about this before the show, and a part of me wonders – How much of this is just kind of a statement by the coaching staff about toughness? Um, You know, obviously, with the way that this season ended. Um, You know, there were a lot of question marks about kind of the the resolve of this team, you know, Uh, and I guess they're maybe using this bowl month as a a way to kind of, you know, like I said, send a message to to the players that, uh, you know, your work is not done here. We're going to continue to grind this thing out and do everything in our power, not only to to prepare to go win one more game, uh, but to make our team better. Um, You know, I think they're kind of balancing this month as both you know an opportunity to 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 practice prepare for bowl game but also use it as a second spring practice so this is both um you know getting ready to play for Tennessee but also kind of kick-starting into next season and maybe setting a a new tone uh for what the expectations are going to be in 2017.
2: Yeah that's the only way that that I've really been able to or any conclusion I've been able to draw from you know the advantages of going so hard uh, and even practicing outside I think it has to be a toughness thing we we know that the staff really embraces the the bull schedule in terms of you know getting a lot of getting younger guys a lot of work and, and kind of really spending time developing those younger players, those scout team guys, the the redshirt freshmen. Uh, but uh, as far as you know, going so many practices in a row and, and going outside. Well, I, how about
4: finals week too? I mean, they, yeah. this is finals week, and, and they are going every day. And I, I always was under the thought that the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was kind of forbidden. You you let the guys study and. And you don't worry about practice, but they're taking on a whole different philosophy, Nate, than I've seen in the past.
2: Yeah, it is—it is completely different uh, from anything I can remember in the past, and. Um, you know, much much heavier load, and I don't know if if they looked at the the team's final schedule and said, "Hey, look, we can we can afford to go this hard or or what?" But uh, I mean, the bottom line is that yeah, they're they're going hard, they're not letting up. Um, you know, they gave those guys a couple weeks of, of rest after the season, and um, you know, and, and so far at least, you talk to some of the players like Kevin Maurice mentioned after practice the other day that you know it was good to go out there and, and get after it and hit somebody because they had been kind of sitting around after that Iowa game and with that with that game still leaving a bad taste in their and mouth. And they did a lot
4: of ones-on-ones. On ones. Mm-hmm.
2: So, it, yeah, they're going good on good and and uh, getting a lot of work in. So, Kevin Maurice said he kind of liked it because uh, they were able to, to really put that Iowa game to bed finally.
4: Well, we've got a full show on tap here as uh, we're going to talk more about the bowl game preparations um, in our next segment. Uh, we'll also get an update on Nebraska basketball from Robin Washett as the Huskers – Uh, Get ready to move into Big Ten play. They still have two more non-conference games left on Sunday and Tuesday before they go at Indiana and at Maryland to open up Big Ten conference play here in December. Uh, Then we'll close the show uh, like we always do uh, with your questions in the mailbag and also on recruiting. Where are things at? It has been now 89 days for Nebraska without a verbal commitment in recruiting Nate Klaus is getting uh, tired of being asked about when's the next commit going to come well I'm gonna ask Nate next as or later on in the show but all that's on tap here uh, on the Husker online show we'll talk more though about the bull practices here in
0: our next segment you're listening here to the Husker online show you're listening to the Husker online show your authority on Nebraska Athletics. I'm sure a lot of people will pick them over us just uh, because of the conference,
1: conference they're from. So it'll be, a, it'll be a fun matchup for us to go uh, go out there, basically their home turf, and, uh, and play them, prove them wrong. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm an SEC corner. I feel like I should be playing there. I mean, I feel like I can play anywhere. So, you know, for me to have a game against, you know, those type of talented teams in that conference, it's going to show notoriety that you know, I can play.
4: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we get you geared up for the December 30th Music City Bowl in Nashville. You heard Jordan Westerkamp and uh, cornerback Chris Jones, who, uh, by the way, talked more about his decision um, about coming back. And um, what's interesting, though, Robin, is He's still going through to get a grade um, from the NFL Draft Advisory Board. So, my mind's saying, well, what happens if the grade comes in a lot better than you thought? And they say third round or something. Uh, But, you know, I think Chris is coming back. Uh, Brian Stewart um, basically spelled it out the best to him. He's like, look, man, you might play football five or six more years after Nebraska, um, and you're going to be what? not even 30 years old. So you need to get that degree and he'll be done with school next December. Uh, But, you know, interesting to hear kind of Chris Jones going through really what Vincent Valentine went through at this time a year Mm -hmm. ago. And we thought Vincent was coming back or at at least in December, he kind of maybe led us to believe he was coming back.
3: Yeah. uh, Obviously different circumstances here uh, because you're not having a complete revamp of your coaching staff, but uh, that's, it's not uncommon for guys to to have that evaluation, get a grade, see where you stand in the eyes of NFL um, front office, and uh, kind of basically let that kind of be your guideline for what you need to do the, the following season to improve upon your weaknesses so I don't think there's any real worry um, I think maybe if you would ask me after that Indiana game I would said yes there's probably a really legitimate chance he might go pro uh, but you know with the way the season ended for him uh, and kind of where things are right now uh, I would be very 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 surprised if he ends up declaring for the draft well yeah. Oh, go ahead. It's,
2: this is—I mean—there's a, a lot of guys put their names in just to find out where where they fall, or. Uh, and like Robin said, more more or less to find out what your what your weaknesses are, what uh, what your grade comes back, what you need to work on before that next year, uh, so that they can you know up their stock. So um, you know it is something to be somewhat concerned about, I think. But I don't I don't foresee you know this being a, an issue for Nebraska or, or this being completely out of the ordinary.
4: Well, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washet as. Uh, We're going to talk more now about just what these practices mean to some of the younger guys. And and we've already heard the chatter uh, of a lot of younger players from the coaching staff and other players on the team. Uh, Let's start first. uh, A guy that's gotten a lot of praise is J.D. Spielman, the the son of Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman, true freshman wide receiver, nearly played um, this year. Um, but they decided to keep the red shirt on him. But you you look at what they lose, Robin, Alonzo Moore, Brandon Riley, Jordan Westerkamp, um, the door is really open for somebody to to gain a lot of playing time, and and he seems like a real likely candidate from what we've heard out of these practices. Yeah,
3: he might be the most likely candidate. In fact, uh, earlier this week, Mark Banker, uh, said for himself, if, if J.D. would have had a better kind of grasp of the offense, uh, there's no doubt he would have been able to help him this year, and not only on offense, but on special teams, too. I mean, keep in mind, he's a dynamic return guy. In fact, I think that was maybe a role that, you know, he was potentially going to have an instant impact this year so uh yeah a lot of excitement surrounding JD and uh for good reason I mean the kid's a player um and I know that this coaching staff is very excited about kind of what he could bring to this offense especially when you look ahead um you know with DeMornay being a senior next year I mean he's kind of going to be that next slot type receiver guy that I think they could do a lot of different things with yeah the
2: the thing about JD is he came in
3: as uh,
2: as the Minnesota State you know po- football player of the year. Had uh, a lot of coaches, uh, distinguished high school football coaches from the state, say that they'd never seen a more dynamic player uh, come through Minnesota high school football before. And uh, and we saw some of the the glimpses of what he could do during fall camp. So I, yeah, I think he was he was right there. And um, you know when they lo- they're losing three seniors, they need a handful of guys to step up. And uh, and I think J D could be one of those guys. And I, I know that they're telling the recruits that they're after right now. Uh, that they're that they need, you know, three to four out of the the five, you know, ultimately five uh, wide receivers that they're going to sign this year uh, to come in and play right away. So uh, the door is definitely wide open, and and I think uh, now that they were able to redshirt him uh, and he's got a better, will have a better understanding of the offense. I, I think he could be uh, definitely a player that makes a huge impact next year.
4: Well, guys, another position I think that's really benefited here from these bowl practices has been the quarterback. I mean, you look at. Obviously, Tommy Armstrong's out. Riker Fife is still limited. Um, so it's really opened the door for Tanner Lee and Patrick O'Brien um, to get even more reps. I mean, they they have really taken a lion's share of, of reps here, um, at least over this week and, and some of next week, because you can do it during this time of year. And it's almost... Um, you know, a mini camp for spring practice right now for Nebraska, Robin, as they get geared up uh, for
3: spring, which will start in March. Well, it's a really interesting dynamic because uh, your top three quarterbacks today are all going to be gone. And so you're replacing uh, basically your entire position depth chart uh, going into spring practice. So, yeah, this is a crucial month. I mean, obviously uh, Tanner and Patrick have you know been getting tons of reps with scout team all season long. Uh, but this is kind of the first, uh, you know, real uh, taste that they're going to get. You know, getting reps with the first team offense, and especially like you mentioned, with Tommy being out. I mean, there's just not enough quarterbacks to go around. So those guys are getting more work uh, than they have all year long. And so I think that's going to be uh, a nice, like you said, kickstart into spring ball. Uh, because that's when the competition gets underway obviously you know Tanner lee is kind of being projected as maybe the the front runner there but you know Patrick O'Brien uh, he's no slouch in his own right I mean I think he's going to give Tanner everything that he could uh, possibly ask for over the t- not only the spring but on through fall camp and up until maybe the first game and I think it's I think it's kind of smart for the staff to do that kind of have this be
2: a primer for the spring because uh, you get a you get these guys a little bit of a taste of the competition and uh, and it's so I mean when's the last time you had a legit quarterback competition mm-hmm. uh, on, you know, on campus. I mean, you could argue I mean, Taylor
4: Martinez, yeah. his freshman year, when he beat out Cody Green and Zach Lee, was maybe the closest thing because Bo kept that one so close <laughs> to the vest that he wouldn't even announce Taylor Martinez until – um, game day. I mean, they, it was on the Husker, Husker Vision boards that day.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. It's been so long since you've had a legitimate competition, and and I think this is going to be one. Um, and and that's only going to raise the you know everyone's level of play up. So, um, and and that seems to be kind of the the theme right now. Especially you know it, for the last you know half hour, forty five minute, minutes of practice, there's a lot of work that's going on with a lot of these younger guys, a lot of competition, and uh, and I think that's really going to help. These Guys,
4: you're listening here to the Husker Online show as Nebraska, in the midst of their bowl practices here, as they get ready for their December 30th date in the Music City Bowl. The Huskers will depart on December 25th, um, but they will practice 16 times in 21 days. Um, you know, over this uh, twenty-one day stretch here, as they get ready uh, for this matchup with Tennessee, briefly, um, Robin offensive line too has been a big talk. Um, when you look at the youth, I mean, there's right now four sophomore starters. When you put Cole Conrad in there over David Neville, mm-hmm. who's a junior, uh, but. Particularly the trio of freshmen. Uh, I guess Nate, you talked with Mike Cavanaugh mm-hmm. um, about Mac, Matt uh, Matt Farniak, Bo Wilson, and John Raritan.
2: Yeah, uh, Coach Kavanaugh couldn't uh, didn't have enough you know great things to say, or couldn't say more great things I should say about these these three freshmen. And and really all those guys were on redshirt alert this year. He said um, you know, but they're ultimately very happy. They're able to to keep their red shirts on. Those guys, uh, they're so competitive. Uh, they're so tough. They they basically have everything. That calv loves uh, about offensive linemen, um, you know. And he talked about how Matt Farniak and John Raritan are, are so competitive that uh, it wouldn't surprise him if they get into fistfights with one another. Even though they're, they they're both offensive linemen, they just are so darn competitive that, um, and they do things the right way, the the way that he likes them to be done. I think that was a, kind of a telling comment, is you know that he really likes all the leadership coming back between all the sophomores returning and then this freshman group that. Really Redshirted this year, um, you know it's. I think the, these are kind of the building blocks of of something pretty good going forward.
3: There's obviously going to be one key position battle on that offensive line, and that's uh, with the departure of senior Dylan Nutter at center. And so, uh, Michael Decker kind of seems to be the, I guess, the obvious choice there uh, because he was the number two at the end of the year.
4: Or you could move a Cole Conrad.
3: I mean, but, you can do a lot of things. But keeping an eye on John Raritan. Mike Cavanaugh said, "quote He could be a great center. He's so athletic and smooth, getting out in space." and has great body control and here's the important part and he's a nasty dude and I think with this young guy coming up, I mean, you add Nick Gates, you have Foster, you have guys like Raritan, Farniak. Uh, there's a lot of and Tanner Farmer, obviously. You, there's a kind of a, a mean streak with these guys, and I think that's going to be fun to watch that develop, because uh, not only are they extremely talented, uh, but they kind of have that quote-unquote nastiness that Mike Cavanaugh loves from his offensive line.
4: And don't even count out Bo Wilson. I mean, if he, oh, yeah.
3: if he's <laughs> how can you not mention him?
4: If he's good enough at guard, Tanner Farmer could play center too. So. There's a lot of ways. I think it's just about getting that best five on the field, and and that will be a fun thing to watch here during the spring. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to shift the discussion over to Nebraska basketball. The Huskers have two more non-conference games left, but to date, they've played the toughest schedule in the country. We'll get Robin Washett's take on that next Here, You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
3: I Any mean, of you guys, you're kind of through the meat grinder portion of this non-conference schedule, and do you kind of look at this as the time to uh, go back home, regroup, and kind of gear up for Big Ten play.
1: Um, yeah, definitely. You know, we, we came a lot. With, um, we got a lot of experience
2: out of these uh, couple of tough games. I think um, it's a huge learning curve for the young guys, especially because you know we're we're a young team and we play a lot of young guys. You know, I'm out there with. Four sophomores to start the game, and um, they—they're playing like they're seniors. I think, and they've—they've they've come a long way from—from from the summer. So, um, I mean, I think it's—it's it's good for us that we had such a tough schedule, and
0: um, I think we'll be looking good going into conference play. Um, I'm excited going into
2: conference play because, just as Ty said, you know, with the teams we just—we've been competing with um, thus far, like going into conference play. We could just build off that, and uh, it just makes our team look that much better as we play. I'm excited to go against Gardner, Webb, and Southern, and then conference play. Uh, So, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: And welcome back here to the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washed, and that was head coach Tim Miles at the end there uh, making a joke about after the meat grinder schedule Nebraska's played which has been the toughest in the nation according to espn.com strength of schedule uh, I think he's excited to play maybe two winnable home games here Sunday and on Monday against Gardner Webb and Southern right? Yes, Southern yes the, those are your last two. And then Nebraska goes right into Big Ten play at Indiana and at Maryland. So it is going to be um, a tough, tough schedule when you look at things, Robin. But uh, first, this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. you got bowl games starting up here on Saturday, NFL on Sunday, so lots to get in and uh, make sure you check out that new location of tanners on 70th in a and the old grandmothers uh i've heard great things uh about that location but robin let's get back to uh the schedule talk i mean what, what do you think you've learned about this team um as they've gone through this meat grinder
3: well i mean yes you you learn that this team was thrown into the fire in every sense of the word uh to start the year uh obviously uh, i guess at some point this week i don't know if i have this much going to change over the weekend but uh they had the number one strength of schedule in terms of difficulty played three top 10 teams two other potential NCAA tournament teams uh you know it's it's just a brutal 10 game start to the year uh there's really you know outside of maybe uh the first Two or three, um, you know, games to start off the season. There's really been no break. Um, even that South Dakota game, wedged in the middle of there. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has Nebraska scouted as well as any coach in the country, and so uh, this team has really had to kind of, like I said, learn on the fly. And this was a young team. We all knew that. Uh, as Ty Webster in the open mentioned, I mean, he's out there with you know four sophomores most of the time, uh, and if not, then there's you know other first-year guys, you know, coming off the bench. So it's it's been uh, a rough start. Obviously, five and five is not ideal. When you look uh, ahead to achieving postseason goals, but they haven't lost to, or they haven't lost any games in which they were favored. Um, you know, they, they've only lost games to, you know, when they were the underdog. So I guess there's, um, I guess, Reason for optimism. I think there. they could have had that
4: Clemson win. I know that,
3: there, there are missed opportunities, though. So. Eight
4: and four versus seven and five would have
3: been a huge difference, in my opinion. Yes, especially when you look at now. I mean, assuming they win out against Gardner Webb and Southern, and as Tim Tim Miles said, you you can't take anything for granted for a team that you know Incarnate Word and Samford have uh, you know taught us anything. You can't take anything for granted. But uh, that assuming they win those, that leaves you having to win probably in my mind 10 games in Big Ten play in ah, order, in order really to be a, in order to be a shoe in for the NIT you know that like, because you got to get to 17 wins I think that's the magic number and yes like you said Sean that is going to be very difficult I think I think
4: I think nine and nine would get them there but if you're if you're at that level you're talking NCAA tournament you know at that point I mean if, if you're above 500 yeah. in the Big Ten or at 500 and, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves because I think most people think this is probably a six to seven win Big Ten team at best right now, just until they prove they can win a game against a quality team.
3: Yeah, I think. I guess to be a lock, 17 for NIT for sure, and I almost think 18.
4: RPI though will matter more than anything, mm-hmm. won't it?
3: Oh yeah, but and, and there's also the Big Ten tournament too. I mean, so if you get a first round game against you know some lower tier conference opponent and get pad your stats a little bit, that could help. But uh, the good news is, you know I think we've, we've talked about this before, but the way that the conference schedule shapes up, yes, they're you know right out of the gates at Indiana, at Maryland. but there are games at home, especially that I think Nebraska has a good chance to win. And as long as they're able to hold serve at home, Find ways to go on the road, uh, maybe knock off a team or two, like a you know Northwestern, Rutgers, Iowa, maybe even Ohio State or Michigan State. Uh, then I think you're putting yourself in a position to get hot, build some confidence with a young team that has shown it can play with teams. I mean, they were tied with Creighton at half. They had you know, UCLA. Um, I think they were only down six before things you know finally you know, fell apart towards the end there. So they've shown that they can they can hang when they're playing good basketball. And so that's, I guess there, there's still hope that they can put this thing together and keep in mind that when that NCAA tournament team in 2013, 14, they started the year eight and eight. So nothing's lost.
4: Nothing's lost. You're right. And you look <laughs> at the schedule as you're listening to the Husker line show, they'll play Sunday against Gardner webb at one Tuesday, uh, seven o'clock game against Southern. And then the 28th uh, Wednesday of December, they're at Indiana. Then on new year's day, uh, Sunday, January one, they'll be at Maryland. So you look at the the gap between home games, Robin. They're going to go December twentieth through January fifth without a home game. Um, so this, if you want to see the Huskers. These uh, next two are a great opportunity. Uh, The students are going to be on winter break as well, so there's always additional seats available, better seats than normal, uh, to get into Pinnacle Bank Arena this week and and, and see kind of these last two games before Nebraska goes on their Christmas break and then opens up Big Ten play.
3: Yep, and so, you know, it's got to take care of your business here um, and find a way to, you know, get – of a fresh start for Big Ten play and obviously not going to be easy with those two game stretch but uh, you know this this is the situation that you put yourself in with the schedule that you built and um, you know as difficult as it is there are opportunities like I said I mean if you're in you know somewhere at least in the conversation of you know potentially earning a postseason bid they're going to look back at who you played and how you played them and so far I mean Nebraska's played you know, outside of maybe the way the Creighton game ended and the Kansas game, uh, they've they played teams close. So it's, it's you know, not ideal to be 5-5 five and five at this point, but I think that that schedule uh, could be a benefit if Nebraska's able to take advantage.
4: Huskers losers of five of their last six. They're 5-5. Five as they get ready to open up Big Ten Conference play after Christmas. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag as Husker Online intern David Eichold will join us on the show as we'll take your questions on the bowl game and recruiting and much more. That's all next here. You're listening to
0: the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Anytime you get a chance to work with
2: great people, that's big. And then the community by far has been outstanding. I mean, just, you know, Huskers everywhere, GBR community has been amazing. I mean, just, you could just tell on social media, you could tell just going to the airport, you could tell in the building.
1: I mean, this is, you know, a great step for me in my life.
4: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was brand new Nebraska cornerbacks coach, Dante Williams is talking about his quick transition into Nebraska as he's already a part of everything as far as practices and bowl prep. Uh, but now it's time, as we do every week on this show, we take your questions in the mailbag. That means we bring one of our lovely interns into the program. Uh, David Eichel uh, joins us here this week. Fresh off finals weeks. what was your hardest final?
1: Uh, I had no finals. No finals. Nope. I've been Jeez. taking it pretty easy since Jeez. Sunday. You take Journalism uh, school, it's great.
4: You take the <laughs> SEC schedule of, of classes here. <laughs> nice. No finals. We, all right, what do you got for us this week in the mailbag?
1: All right, what position has the most work to do as a unit for this team to improve slash get to the Big Ten championship next year?
4: The lines. Um, I think they really d- towed it all year. I mean, when you look at what they battled on both the offensive and the defensive line, I don't remember very many seasons ever at Nebraska where things were as thin as they were at D-end and the O-line in general. And for them to get nine wins with those type of flaws in this league, that was a big thing. So that, that has to get better.
3: Yeah, and that's an obvious one. I'll go with another obvious one, that's quarterback. It's going to be a completely different group. And uh, to win championships, you have to have a championship-level quarterback. And so is Tanner Lee going to be the guy? Is Patrick O'Brien going to be the guy? Uh, one of those guys has to emerge as you know, the new general of this offense. Well,
2: now I can't argue with either one of those points I I feel like those are probably the two position groups where you 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 have to have improved play at if you're going to play at a high level especially um, when you're playing the the schedule that Nebraska has next year Mm
4: -hmm. all right let's get on to the next question here in the mailbag
1: Uh, who's one redshirt on offense defense or special teams that could make a big impact next year
4: Well, we hit on J.D. Spielman already um, out of the gates in in our earlier part of the show, the wide receiver. I mean, I think he's done a lot of good things, but I'll throw another guy out. I've heard a lot of good things about Colin Miller at defensive end. I think he's somebody, um, just based on the need of the position, Ross deserves graduated and Things aren't really going too hot at defensive end right now in recruiting this year uh, with with the recent decommitment of Robert Porche and Guy Thomas' status kind of up in the air. So uh, I do think the door will be open for a guy like Colin Miller.
3: I'm going to throw a little wild card out here. Uh, he's not a freshman, but I'm going to go Tyron Ferguson, who redshirted this year as a true sophomore. Uh, you look at what they lose at linebacker. Obviously lose two starters uh, from that group. I think he's got an opportunity to get into the equation there in that linebacker rotation. So um, I think it was a smart move for him to, you know, take this year to redshirt. Probably should have done it a year ago, but you know, that's kind of how things work out, but uh, I'm interested to see the the strides that he was able to make this year um, during his wretched season. and I'm going to go to the lines, what we just
2: kind of talked about a, a second ago and um, kind of pick John Raritan in there at the center position. I feel like when Mike Cavanaugh was talking about Raritan the other day uh, after practice, he he mentioned something that, that caught my attention. And, um, not only is he athletic and, and very tough, but he mentioned the screen game and, and how well he, he does that in practice and how that's a big part of the, what they want to do offensively and, and we all know that that's been a part of uh, the offense that's kind of struggled lately. So uh, I feel like John Raritan is athletic enough that he could really help this offense maybe take that next step, too.
4: If I have a gun to your head right now, who starts at center next year, Nate?
2: Uh, John Raritan. All Ooh. right.
4: Ooh. I, I don't disagree. I, I just wanted to hear it from you, Nate. And uh, <laughs> I, I think that that is kind of where I'm leaning towards, too. I just You just don't feel like there's a high trust factor in Decker um, at this point until he you know, really proves it and has maybe a strong spring mm-hmm. here to, to back it up. But uh, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. We're joined with David Eichel, our Husker Online intern, as we take your questions in the mailbag.
1: How much do you think the coaches have started to think about 2017 and moving on to a quarterback that better fits what they want to do offensively?
4: I mean, sure, they're thinking a little bit about 2017, but this is Nebraska. You can't ever salvage a game to worry about next season uh, because when you lose a bowl game in Nebraska, when you have about 45 talk radio shows and 50 media members that practice every day, 45 um, is an exaggeration, by the way, on radio <laughs> shows, but you don't ever want to lose because it's doom and gloom city here. And, you know, it, it, there's just way too many people that cover and talk about this team. Um, so I, I think if you could win the bowl game and look good regardless, that's what you want to do.
3: Yeah, the dynamics around kind of the situation, too, make it interesting because it's hard to, you know, look at next year too much just because you're working with completely different pieces than what you're gonna have next season. So uh, it's been a balancing act for sure, but uh, I have no doubt that uh, you know they they've put an emphasis on trying to get things moving ahead to next year while also getting ready to beat Tennessee. Yeah,
2: and, and I feel like um, I don't really agree with the narrative that this bowl game doesn't mean anything and that they're just trying to to look completely ahead to, to next year. I think this bowl game does mean a lot. Um, if you could get to 10 wins and, and beat an SEC team, I think that would really give you a lot of momentum. But uh, um, it, they'll look ahead here uh, after this bowl game and be very excited, I think, to, to finally have um, you know their quarterback, one
1: of their guys. Is being able to run this offense next year. All
4: right, we're moving through the mailbag here. What do you got next for us, Dave?
1: Other than Beal and Paulino, what other defensive ends do you think Nebraska will pursue in the last month of recruiting?
2: right now I think that's anybody's guess I mean honestly the two guys that we know that they've had in-home visits with that that are not you know weren't currently committed to Nebraska are Robert Beale, who's a Georgia commit uh, out of Atlanta uh, we know that that uh, John Perella was by there and had an in-home visit with him and then we know that he's also been down to Fort Lauderdale to see uh, LaShawn Paulino who's a Michigan State commit so um, you know the top two guys that I guess in Nebraska uh, has a chance at flipping, um, you know, for that defensive end spot. are guys, you know, that are currently committed to other programs, and, and you always, you know, that's always an uphill battle. Neither one of those guys has taken their official visit. Uh, I think we'll both see we'll see that happen in in January. Um, but uh, there's got to be some other names that are popping up on the board, and I would imagine there are other prospects that that they're in on that they've been communicating with, and, and uh, that they've probably visited already. That are just kind of maybe under the radar. But uh, there's no question that losing Robert Porsche at that spot, um, you know, definitely hurts. It hurts the class. It hurts the defensive end position. Um, you know, and he's a good player. I don't. Well, know then if...
4: last year they didn't get any defensive ends, Nate.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, they got
4: obviously Ben and Colin Miller, but it's not like they hit it out of the park and got the Randy Gregory type
2: guy. No instant impact guys. Um, and, and I don't know – I mean, I'm not going to say that Robert Porsche was an instant impact guy. I don't, I'm not convinced that he was. Uh, but he's really good, and, and it hurts to lose him. There's no question about that.
4: You know, one thing, Nate, too, when you look at recruiting, particularly a position like defensive end, it just puzzles me why the junior college presence has disappeared uh, from Nebraska. You look at – Nebraska's had eight junior college players drafted, I believe, since like 2009 or 10 or in that area – um so that has been a, a very, very promising area of talent, particularly for Nebraska on defense. This will be the second year in a row the Huskers will not have a junior college player on scholarship.
2: Yeah, it is is kind of a head scratcher. I, I do know that um, you know, that Mike Riley and, and the staff at Oregon State kinda you know had to maybe rely more on the Juca ranks than what they would have liked to have done. Uh, and and they'd much rather be able to have a kid on campus and and work with him and kind of develop him f- for four or five years rather than bringing a, a guy in with maybe some some academic or some uh, you know character baggage uh, and kind of infuse that player into the the locker room and and roll the dice on whether or not he's gonna you know pan out in a year or two so i mean there are there are risks but there are also rewards there and, and it is a little curious that they haven't taken a little closer look at some certain
1: positions are
4: all right we have time for one quick question here with david eichel as we wrap things up on the husker online mailbag
1: how much impact do you think reporters and recruiting analysts have on the process could an annoying pushy reporter uh you know leave a sour taste in their mouth and think of the school
4: i i hope not i mean sure i mean anything's possible but um the kids that want to talk are going to talk and the kids that don't want to talk they're not going to talk and nate and Robin deals with them on basketball but basketball seems a lot easier but uh, to get a hold of the guys in football but Nate I mean you, you, you deal with these kids with Mike and Brian Munson as much as anybody
2: yeah I mean I think if, if I feel like it all depends on who's involved and how the kids approach the process uh, a lot of times if the kid has a solid you know network of, of people um, you know kind of helping him helping to guide him through the process then then they handle things pretty professionally and, and are uh, you know willing to talk and, and willing to you know be open with reporters at certain times times, but, but not be a completely open book and, and, you know, allow themselves to be pushed around. Um, and I don't think that most people have, you know, want to push anybody around, but it can happen. And then other guys that if they want to keep it you know, close to the vest and don't want to talk, then they just don't do it. So, um, I think it's helpful for guys to have, you know, kind of, uh, certain people help, help them through the process, but I don't think it really has any impact on, on where they end up going.
3: Yeah. And with basketball, obviously there's less guys. You're Dealing with, but uh, sometimes there can be more politics involved there uh, because there are a lot of people that have their own self interests involved with high school kids, and you have to deal with them. And so it's it's a different animal for sure um, compared to football. But uh, as far as the reporters' influences, yeah, I think most kids, you know, are listening to a whole lot other people than some you know dude from uh, you know a recruiting website.
4: All right, well that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the Mailbag. We come. back, we will close the show with more recruiting talk from Nate Klaus. You're listening to the Husker Online
0: Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Hiring him, what did you notice
4: it did already with your you already had a presence out in LA, but having him now on board with kids knowing him, what kind of immediate impact did you notice with that hire on the trails?
0: Uh, well, you know, he's he was already recruiting some guys there, so you, you see the impact there immediately. By the fact that they're interested in Nebraska, or if we were already recruiting them, uh, they're you know, they're they're still interested, or maybe even more interested in them. So, you can see the impact immediately just because of the different guys that he was already on, and then now we also have a chance at him.
4: Final segment here of the Husker Online show that was wide receivers coach Keith Williams just talking about the early impact Dante Williams has had on this Nebraska staff on the recruiting trail, particularly out in California, Nate. And I asked Coach Williams, I mean, how helpful was it that? They could kind of maybe even exchange some intel. They both kind of know some inside stuff. And he said maybe the biggest thing was when, we, when I know a guy and he knows that same guy, um, two is better than one. And, and it really helps when you kind of have the same connections and now both of you are on the same team.
2: Absolutely, I think that uh, that is a big help, and it's interesting because they were in some head-to-head recruiting battles against some, you know, some common targets there. So now, all of a sudden, when you're able to combine forces, I think that gives you a, a fairly, uh, you know. Decent advantage, you know, a leg up on on some of the other competition. All of a sudden, and uh, when you look at the type of connections that that those two uh, dynamic recruiters have in, in the in Los Angeles and really Southern California as a whole, um, you know, I, I think it's I think you have to be pretty excited about what the future may hold out in California. Uh, definitely, the the presence out there is is uh, is is you know pr- fairly more prevalent uh you know they they're, they're going to be spending a lot of time out there and, and I think they're going to they're going to be expecting a lot of return on their investment too though
4: you're listening here to the Husker online show as we talk recruiting here to close this week's show Nate and y- y- you look at kind of where things are at and you know I'm going to get right to the elephant in the room it's been nearly 90 days um 89 days as as of Thursday Nebraska has gone without a commit they they lost Robert Porchet this past week They're now down to 14 known public commits. Now there might be a silent or two that the staff knows about that we don't know about. But man, the mojo needs to find its way back here in recruiting. And you know, almost 90 um, days—it's been a long drought.
2: Yeah, it's been a very long drought. There's no question. They need some good news. Um, You know, and and there are so many players uh, that I think are on the fence with Nebraska that. That have been longtime targets uh, and that Nebraska's put a lot of time and effort in, and you know it's getting closer and closer to them making a decision uh, that uh, the Nebraska really needs those guys to come through for them because um, you know if they if they're not able to to kind of get some momentum going down the stretch, it, it could go from looking like this was going to be you know potentially a top 15 class to all of a sudden now you're you're kind of scrambling to to fill fill the class out with some guys. So I, I still feel like. Like they've done a good job of. Um, you know their their consistency in, in the way that they've approached recruiting but for whatever reason things have have kind of gone in a lull here um, it's not surprising uh, to me at least that that they're that they've had a, a decommit i think every every cycle you see you know at least one or two decommits every cycle it's just kind of the nature of college football right now but uh, they could definitely use some good news and and perhaps uh, friday afternoon with uh with uh, thomas graham making his decision maybe that's the Maybe that's the guy that kind of kickstarts things going forward here. You know, that's kind of Dante Williams' big, you know, first big test, I guess, is Thomas Graham, the four-star cornerback out of Rancho Cucamonga, California. Um, you know, if if he can, you know, all of a sudden land a guy like Thomas Graham, I think that will all of a sudden, you know, give you a lot of mo- momentum on the recruiting trail and and at least make the fans feel good about the direction of of how things are going to be closed out here, because uh, that's where a lot of the the hand wringing is coming from right now, is the fans wondering hey how the heck are they gonna get this done because it's starting to look a little bleak
4: Nate what happened with Robert Porsche I mean and did you see this coming Were there any signs at all that it was this going to be a harsh Twitter breakup like it was this week with him?
2: Well, you know, it, it's hard to, to really crawl inside of his head. Uh, I will say I'm not completely shocked that he did uh, decommit from Nebraska because all of a sudden halfway through the season or really uh, towards the beginning of the season when he kind of started talking about, yeah, I might want to take a, another trip or two or, or take my visits, this and that. And all of a sudden you're going, okay, well, if a guy is looking around, then, then there is a possibility that he could leave uh, eventually. And then he, he took that official visit to Michigan and, and kept saying, well I'm, I'm taking my visit to Michigan but I'm still committed to Nebraska right now and I think anytime a, a player throws a, a right now in there you go okay well how committed are you really and and all of a sudden he, he plays his last high school football game on a Saturday in the state championship title game Sunday is the last day of the of the contact period um, and then Mondays the dead period and all of a sudden there's a there's a tweet with him saying that that he's decommitting due to family reasons because he, he wants to to be around his family he wants his family to be able to to come to every game um, in which you, you know you have to take it at face value uh, when someone puts a statement out there like that but at the same time you start looking at some of the other schools that he's still considering visiting and it's Michigan State it's Cal uh, Georgia Tech uh, you know Michigan State and Cal certainly aren't Really, all that you know, closer to home than than uh, Nebraska was. So it's it'll be interesting to see where he ends up and if that family was just kind of a you know your your uh, your excuse at the moment or, or what. But the timing of it is kind of curious. You know, you wonder you know did he did he release that statement during the dead period so that he wouldn't be bombarded with with phone calls from the coaching staff or wouldn't have to deal with any awkward face to face meetings. Where does he
4: go? I mean, where do you think he go? I mean, if I had said who do you think is the player now that kind of maybe rocked the boat here and and where do you think he goes
2: well right now i i think you know if i had to pick a school i think robert ends up going to georgia tech Uh, georgia tech's been you know a program that he's mentioned several times in the past and and i'm and i'm believing him that he wants to be a little closer to home so uh you know if that's the case um you know I, i think it ends up being georgia tech but um, you know, it's like I said earlier. It's really hard to crawl in, into his head and figure everything out. You know, his dad went on a radio show and said that he he didn't want his son to to decommit right now. He wanted his son to to wait until closer to signing day to, to announce that he was going to decommit. So, uh, which was really surprising to hear. You know, the father, you know, a former NFL guy, um, you know, say that he he wanted his son to wait until closer to the end of the process to decommit so i guess if there's a silver lining in any of this is that he, he didn't wait until the 11th hour to, to leave nebraska high and dry
4: all right nate as we wrap it up here uh what are you going to be watching i know it's the dead period um but give husker fans kind of an idea what your eyes are going to be on here over the next week
2: well i i think here over the next week or two uh, you really you really got to pay attention to you know if if Nebraska is able to to keep any you know whatever momentum they have with certain guys like a, a Jameer Calvin uh, Chuck Filiaga Foster Sorrell you know some of these guys that are going to be entering and uh, in, in playing in the All-American games um, yeah I think uh, even though that you can't make phone calls there's still a lot of recruiting that can be done via social uh, media and text messaging and, and whatnot so there's still some you know recruiting that Taking place behind the scenes, and, and can Nebraska uh, keep you know keep the I guess a so focus there? Keep these guys on the hook leading up to to some of these announcements that are going to be happening at, at these All-Star games here in the next couple weeks.
4: Well, it should be fun to follow. Uh, it will be another week though of bull practices, so make sure you stick on HuskerOnline.com as we'll have complete coverage of everything going on here around the team and lots of good information. Definitely will be shared as we'll have great access here uh, with the players and the coaches. But, well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.